Well, good morning, everyone. So good to be with you together today. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Today, we're in the Gospel of John, one of the most important recollections from the life of Jesus. John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world... He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Father God, may you honor the reading of your word today with hearing, with understanding, Lord, and today with application. Father God, may your Holy Spirit be with each of us gathered in this place in these moments and be with those who are online at this time and those who will watch at a later date already known by you. May your Spirit work within our hearts and within our minds to not only take your teaching from the teaching from your Son, but the example of your Son and live it out in this world as we have come not to be served, but to serve, just like Jesus in this world. Lord, help us have that humility. Lord, help us have that heart to give. Lord, help us have that heart to lower ourselves, get our pride out of the way as we do learn from Jesus Lord, I pray that as we seek to follow you more and more, not only will your spirit be at work within us, but your word will dwell within us powerfully 
to teach and to instruct and to conform and to change us, Lord. To fill those voids in our hearts and our minds of the things we're looking for in this world that can, can never truly satisfy. May we find them in you. And Lord, as we look to Jesus more and more, may we too become like him more and more. As always, Father God, I ask that my words do not get in the way of your word, but that you speak, that you work, that you bring glory to yourself as Jesus is lifted up. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, your Son, O Father God, that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And a very special welcome to those who are joining with us online today. I want to say a special hello to Kevin and Christine Reed. Uh, Kevin's our drummer who's under the weather today, so he better be watching. <clears throat> and Christine, well, she's just the life of the party. And so we miss both of you guys. Hope you're doing well. Please remember, for the others who are watching online, we would love to hear from you as well. You can text in comments, questions, prayer praises, or prayer requests to 805-481-7092. And if it is somebody we've not had the chance to meet uh, by name, we would love to get your name along with the number that you text in from so we can be in communication with you to see how we can best help you grow spiritually. Once again, welcome. Thanks for being a part of the Oak Park family today. Such an important and such an iconic image from the life and the ministry of Jesus. You know, for the great teachers, sometimes it's not only what they say, it's what they do that really makes a difference and makes a lasting impact. I'm sure most of us have a memory of a very special teacher from our earlier days in school, or perhaps there was a professor or someone who's just really made a huge impact on us. And it wasn't necessarily something they said that made the biggest difference. It was what they did. In my own life during graduate school, I had the pleasure of listening to and learning from Dr. James Strauss. Jim Strauss was a giant among men intellectually. He is the, obviously the most brilliant person I ever had the pleasure of, of listening to and sitting in a class under. Um, he was ex highly, highly trained, extremely intelligent. Most of the time, you could not understand what he was saying. Um, so he was that good. He knew German and Latin, and I think sometimes those are the languages he was using in class. But he was just a brilliant, brilliant man. And fortunately, um, he didn't publish that many books, just a few, but I have a lot of class notes that, that I've, I've, I've gone to back over, over the years now, and after about 30 years, it's like, oh, that's what he meant. Whoa, it took a long time to sink in. But class with Dr. Strauss was always an event. It, it was always something you had to be at. There was waiting lists for his classes, and every time he would come into class, he'd be two armfuls of books that would be on the, the table in front of him, and he would just reference them and work things out. He weaved a master class in education and theology. One of his biggest things was theology is the queen of the sciences, and as such, Jesus came so that every square inch of this creation will come under his authority. That's why he said, he goes, Theology has everything to do with everything. Business and physics and medicine and technology and farming, everything is under the lordship of Christ. That's one of the things he always said. And then he would back it up in his teachings. But it wasn't just what Dr. Strauss said, it was what he did that made such lasting impressions. 
As I said, at one of Dr. Strauss's classes, they were just events you had to be at. Students actually arrived early to be a part, except for one student, my very good friend, Jason. Jason had a habit of running a little bit late. And so class had already started, and he came in maybe 10, 15 minutes late. And the classrooms were, you know, a little bit smaller. And so when Jason came in, he actually came in behind Dr. Strauss and opened the door, and Jason's fumbling with his, with his briefcase because we were all nerds back then. Um, he also had a tape recorder because you had to record Dr. Strauss's lectures to listen to him over and over so you could try to understand anything. So he brings in his briefcase. He brings in his coffee, a donut. He brings his tape recorder, and... He's just interrupting the class walking in. He's making a spectacle. And as soon as he comes in, Dr. Strauss just stops and watches him. Jason is oblivious. He's coming in. He's distracting the whole class. He's getting his stuff done. And finally, he sits down, and he's, he's settled. And Dr. Strauss goes, would you like a sandwich too? Another time, a friend of mine named Chris, Chris who himself was a brilliant, brilliant young theologian, but even brilliant people can ask dumb questions, right? And I know in, in academia, there's no such thing as a dumb question, but there is. Uh, there really are dumb questions. And Chris asked a very dumb question, and then he was trying to defend the dumbness of his question. And uh, Chris was one of Dr. Strauss's pet students, and so they had a very, very good relationship. But as Chris kept on talking and trying to defend the, the stupidity of his question, Dr. Strauss walked over to the chalkboard, took a brand new, beautiful, unused piece of chalk. And as he's nodding, he's looking at the chalkboard and he's nodding, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He breaks the chalk in two, turns around and sticks the pieces in his ears, and says, you really just need to stop. It's too stupid. I can't listen anymore. This is a man with, with an earned doctorate and a couple of honorary doctorates and a world-class theologian standing there with two pieces of chalk in his ears. Not only what, what he said, but what he did. But the most important thing I remember doctor, about Dr. Strauss is when I was a freshman a first-year seminary student, an absolute nobody. Packing up to move to the middle of Illinois, I had ruptured a disc in my back. And by the time I arrived in town in Lincoln, Illinois, I was hunched over. I could not walk upright. I had to walk sideways, and I, and I walked with a limp because I had a ruptured disc. And uh, as soon as I got there, I had to go in for medical tests and treatment. And was, finally, I was having surgery. So about three weeks into my seminary career, I had to have back surgery. And once again, I am a first-year seminary student. I am a, a persona non grata, a non-existent person in, in, this, in this world. But Dr. Strauss knew who I was. He knew I was missing class that day for surgery. And one of the things about the seminary I went to is we had a, we had a huge contingent of, of, of multinational uh, students. And so we had students from Kenya and Thailand and Singapore and Africa and India and all over the world. And Dr. Strauss stopped class. He started class by telling all the other students who I was, that I was in surgery that very hour and he had all of the multinational students pray for me in their native language. I wish I could have been there. Dr. Strauss then took up a collection for a card 
and a gift to be purchased and given to me. I was a freshman. He was not even my major professor. professor. I was a New Testament major. But Dr. Strauss, a world-class theologian, loved his students. From the funny to the, to, the, to the tender and the pastoral. That's what I remember. And sometimes teachers, as great as they are, you don't always catch what they're saying and what they're meaning, but when you do catch what they do. And that's what Jesus does here. It was the night before his crucifixion, actually just a few hours before Jesus would be arrested, interrogated, convicted, tortured, and then murdered. There's only a few hours remaining to prepare his disciples for that coming trauma. Jesus knew what awaited. And so Jesus takes these precious, precious minutes to impress upon his closest followers, it is zero hour. You have got to get this. Everything is riding on you understanding and being faithful. Now the Holy Spirit will come and he will help you, but you've also got to get it. You've got to understand. And the disciples were having trouble understanding After 30-some years of being the Word of God made flesh and three-plus years of intensive ministry, the text says that Jesus loved his disciples to the end, not only with his words, but with his actions. And his actions become the greatest object lesson in all of human history. Jesus washes his disciples' feet By doing this, Jesus broke social stereotypes and taboos. Because of sandals and dust, there was no pavement (laughs) in those days. Sandals and dust, foot washing was a necessity. It was an expected act of hospitality, not only for hygiene, but also for religious ritual. Every host or hostess was expected to provide servants for foot washing for guests when they came for dinner. But because washing feet was considered so low, it was only reserved for the lowest of the slaves on the totem pole, so to speak, the the bottom of the hierarchy. But even in Jewish law, Jewish slave owners, Jewish masters could not and force Jewish slaves to wash feet. That was how low it was considered. This is what Jesus does. Jesus not only lowers himself literally from the disciples sitting at his feet to him kneeling and sitting at the disciples' feet, but he removes his clothes. That's a, that's a sign of humility, It's a sign of slavehood. The Apostle Paul, who did not get to be a part of this encounter with Jesus, later in the book of Philippians writes, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage, Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. 
That's what Jesus did as he became a human being in general. But as he became a servant to wash the disciples' feet, that is where the the image of Jesus becoming a slave, becoming a servant, is absolutely exemplified. That's what Jesus did. There is no precedent of what Jesus did with the disciples. The Jewish people have thousands upon thousands of written pages of teachings from the rabbis of old. The rabbis were many in number. The Jewish people liked words. They liked to talk. They liked to debate. They talked things in ad nauseum into the ground, and they recorded millions and millions of words of all their teachings and their ponderings and their thoughts upon the law and life under covenant with God. But in all of those pages prior to Jesus, there is not one single reference, not one example of a rabbi ever washing their own disciples' feet or serving their disciples in any similar manner. It is completely paradigm-producing what Jesus did, absolutely unheard of. And it's not the way to win friends and influence people if you're trying to start a new religion that's going to take over the world. Let's get people excited about washing feet like their master. That doesn't sell. That will not go viral. But what's even more astounding is that even though he knew Judas was going to betray him in a matter of minutes... Jesus kneeled at the feet of Judas, touched his feet, washed his feet, cleansed them. Even as his soul was uncleansed, he knew Judas was going to betray him. He knew Judas would be the one to turn on him and turn him over to the authorities and begin the process of his torture and his execution. And Jesus still washed his feet. A couple of years ago, I was up at Palo Mesa Pizza waiting for my, waiting for my order. And I was just uh, thumbing through Facebook as you're wasting time, which is what social media is. It's just a time waster. And I came across a meme that said, if you had 24 hours to live, what would you do? And you're like, oh, okay, man, there's cheeseburgers I got to get. I want to see maybe a sunrise or a sunset. You know, there's, there's a few things you, you have on your to-do list. And the meme was this, if you had 24 hours yet to live, what would you do? He goes, then I realized that Jesus knew, and he washed feet. I am at Paolo Mesa Pizza, the Rancho Grande, you know, store, and I was absolutely crushed. Now, thankfully, I was in public, no tears, can't have that, you know, got a reputation to maintain. But my soul was absolutely shattered and convicted on that. That moved me. That has impacted me. Jesus knew he had only hours to live, and he chose to wash the feet of his disciples so that they could learn who he truly was and so that we could learn as well. Peter has some objections, though. So Peter, as the student, 
got a little bit of thick skull, a little bit hard to get through. He had heard the words of Jesus for over three years now, and yeah, he had stuck his foot in his mouth many times, but Peter was still the, the lead apostle. And Peter resists Jesus doing this for him. Peter's resistance to Jesus', Jesus servitude is most likely rooted in how high he esteemed Jesus. After all, it was Peter who said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, the, the highest confession, the confession that changes eternal destinies. Peter's the one who uttered that. So he knew it wasn't just merely an attitude of his own pride, but he was still spiritually immature even after being with Jesus for three years, day in and day out, seeing the miracles, hearing the stories, getting the debriefing on what the teachings mean, Peter still struggled to understand the full implications of what Jesus as the Son of Man meant and said when he, when he said he came to not be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many but it's a good lesson for us as well. Because oftentimes we too want to say, well, Jesus, I believe in you, I trust you, I acknowledge you, but you're not going to do that to me. I want to hold on to that. And we don't get to pick and choose how Jesus works in our life. Peter's statement in verse 9 Knows, shows that he knows this is a metaphor. It's a, it's a spiritual cleansing that Jesus is talking about. It has nothing to do really with the actual dirt and the dust on the feet. This is about the heart. This is about the internal. This is about where, what are you going to actually accept from Jesus in the work he wants to do in your life for Peter and for us. When Jesus says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Those words are piercing. Jesus is saying, unless, unless I wash you, unless I make you clean, you really don't have a part of, of what I'm about, of my mission, my plan, my promises. Later, Tim. So how does Jesus wash us today? We only receive all that Jesus offers, things like forgiveness and the, his indwelling presence and the gift of eternal life by uniting with him, by giving ourselves fully to what he wants to do in our lives. Uniting with Jesus cleanses us from our sin, both initially through the first gift of faith, but then continually because we need forgiveness over and over and over again. Just like the feet that get dirty and dusty and sweaty and smelly every day, our hearts need to be cleaned and cleansed every day. Because in all honesty, they're still pretty dusty and dirty and sweaty and smelly. So how does Jesus truly cleanse us? 
Well, Jesus says it's through hearing and believing in his words. He says, the words I have spoken to you as the disciples, they have made you clean. There is cleansing power in the words of Jesus. So when we go to what Jesus said, that is the work of God within us. God's cleansing work is taking place in our lives. When we hear his teachings and learn them for the first time or are reminded of them for the hundredth time, that's how God does his work in our hearts. It's, of course, by faith. By faith in his crucifixion and his resurrection. That's what, that's what all this is leading up to. Jesus is saying, because I have done this for you, because I have lowered myself, it's time to go all in. Trust and believe in everything that I am doing for you. It's the crucifixion and the resurrection that truly saves us. The crucifixion is where our sins are paid for. The resurrection is where new life is given. And we believe in that for ourselves. That is personal, saving faith. We're united with Jesus by repentance. It's a turning from self-direction to his leadership. It's basically saying this. This, and this is, this is the key to spiritual growth. This is the key that will unlock everything. It's two words. Yes, Lord. Or you can even be a little bit more fancy and a little bit more theological. And you can mimic Jesus' very own words in the gardens. Not as I will, but as you will. Doesn't that just sound extra spiritual? But that's the point. That's the emphasis. That's what Jesus is offering to us to take over. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is just being reminded and returning to Jesus. When we get distracted, when we get distanced, when we get overwhelmed by the things of the world, like every team you rooted for yesterday, losing. It's horrible. Jordan's my witness. Yesterday was a tough day spiritually. The Mariners lost in 18 stupid innings. One nothing on a rookie hitting a home run. And the Padres being the Dodgers. Not that, not that that matters at all, but I'm just kidding. But we let the things of the world distract us. And we let those things take over our hearts. In the moments of my meltdown when Washington State was losing to Oregon State last night, I was not thinking about Jesus sitting on the throne ruling heaven and earth. So I had to repent. 106 times last night. No, I'm just kidding. It's just a guess. It was probably 107. <laughs> But repentance is returning to Jesus. That's all repentance is. Jesus, I trust. Jesus, I believe. Jesus, I need. Jesus, once again, help. In that repentance, we're united with Jesus. One of the most beautiful and biblical things we can do to unite with Jesus is getting baptized, stating our faith, 
taking that stand, allowing ourselves to be lowered into water and dying metaphorically to self, being raised up out of the water to breathe once again new life, symbolizing death, burial, and resurrection. That's how we're united in with what Jesus did for us in the acts on the cross and at the tomb. Baptism unites us with Jesus. And then it's our habitual confession. One of the most beautiful verses in all of the Bible is 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, and this is written to Christians. This is not written to people prior to faith in Jesus. This is written to Christian brothers and sisters. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The unrighteousness we still have even after faith. Now it comes to us, and we're the servers. Although John omits it from this account, Luke records that in the solemnness of this sacred moment, actually probably leading up to it, the disciples revert to form and begin to argue amongst themselves over who is the greatest. This was a continual constant theme in, in the, the life of the disciples. Started pretty early because they knew Jesus was the Messiah. They thought Messiah is a king. He's an established new government. We, we're getting in on the ground floor. This is going to be awesome. Can you imagine the power and influence we're going to have? And Jesus always corrects them. And most likely in this, well, this time, they know the time is short. They assume Jesus is going is to wipe out the temple and the corrupt government, and he's going to overthrow them. He's going to establish his kingdom. So they're once again just in those last moments vying and jockeying for position. And it's probably in the midst of that discussion they are having that Jesus gets up, disrobes, and then begins to wash their feet. You see, Jesus had already told them, that's not the way it is, guys. But they never heard. And so Jesus says, words aren't working. They've got to see. And that's why he gets up, lowers himself, washes their feet. It's the third time Jesus had to do this. Instead of simply defining greatness as service, Jesus demonstrated it. And Jesus clearly explains that his actions are an example of servanthood all his disciples must practice. As Jesus has served us, we are to serve others. This is not optional for anyone who calls Jesus Lord and learns from him as teacher. Back in verse 3 of, of John 17, it says that Jesus knew that he had come from God and was returning to God. That's the bookends. That's the foundation for how Jesus was able to serve so, with so much humility and to sacrifice so much. Jesus was sent on mission by the Father. We are sent on mission by Jesus. And good works are a part of our divinely ordained preordained purpose in this life. So we're sent on a mission by Jesus. The scriptures said that Jesus knew he was returning to the Father. He was going to be in the Father's presence after the crucifixion. But we're with Jesus always. 
Because Jesus is always with us. And so the things that can get in the way of of serving and giving and sacrificing, all of the objections are overcome. Jesus knew his purpose and his place in God's plan. This knowledge empowered him to act for God's favor, not the opinions and the impressions of others. That means that we too, when we understand we are on mission and that Jesus is with us, we can risk embarrassment because God's favor is more important anyway. It means we can risk being misunderstood because God knows. He sees all, hears all, knows all. It means we can risk being taken advantage of as we seek to serve because there's a lot of takers in this world, right? And Christians can be soft targets because we have things like, you know, compassion and mercy and grace and kindness. And yes, there are people who will willingly and willfully take advantage of that because they know Christians are an easy mark. But sometimes we just need to serve and give anyway. Obviously, there's, there's have, have some common sense on that. But we can risk being taken advantage of because the issue is whom we serve, not who. We serve Jesus when we serve others. And in a lot of ways, the, the, the person we are serving is completely irrelevant to the point. Now, yes, it's a chance to show God's grace, compassion, mercy, kindness, goodness, provision, all of those things, and those are important. But if we have the heart to serve, Jesus will use us. And in a world of authority, hierarchy, place, privilege, image, and power, Jesus says love, serve, humble yourself, Give, sacrifice. And if we too call Jesus teacher and Lord as our Lord and teacher, then we are to do what he has told us to do and shown us to do. Jesus ends this chapter with this commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's what it all comes down to. I'd like to have uh, Mike and the team come back on the stage as we prepare for a time of communion together. Communion is where we celebrate the, the saving acts of Jesus, his death on the cross and his return to life and the resurrection. Communion is where we take a small bit of bread and a little bit of juice, and it honors Jesus' body that was sacrificed for our sin and Jesus' blood that was shed to purify us from sin. If you would please stand as we prepare to sing and worship and just pray and meditate leading up to communion. After the song, uh, simply come forward in a nice orderly manner and pick up one of the sets of communion in the trays at the front of the auditorium. If you'd prefer to remain standing where you are, um, just raise your hand and a communion set will be delivered 
delivered to you. Use this as a time to pray, to meditate, to worship, to turn your life over to Jesus, to repent, to refocus your faith, to seek the Lord's leading on how you are to also serve and give of yourself as He has served and given of Himself. So with that in mind, let's get ready to sing as soon as Kim's on the stage. (laughs) I didn't mean to call you out, Kim. Very good. All right, are we good to go? Let's sing.